Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And then it's really bad words about Lot. It says, And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and sent him without the city. You know, when people today, when they hear the gospel message that judgment's coming, that it's time to escape, to receive the Lord Jesus as your Savior, people really fall into one of these two categories. They either fall into the the category of Lot and Lot's wife. And that's a category of lingering, which basically means not coming. Or they fall into the category of Joseph with an immediate response. I mean, Joseph didn't linger. Joseph didn't argue with God like Lot actually did. Didn't argue with God. He, he just obeyed God. Joseph is so ready to obey that immediately he takes the child, the young child, and Mary, and they go down. You see that in verse 14. When he arose, when he arose, verse 14, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. It was night. As a matter of fact, it was probably this night that he has his dream. He has his dream, and he wakes up from the dream, and he jumps out of bed, and he gathers up everybody and said, we're going right now. And so he leaves in the night because he's afraid. And also, he thinks this is the perfect time to leave because I don't want Herod's men to be told they went that away, you know, and I want to cover the tracks as a go because, you know, they've got a horseback and I don't. Anyway, I need a big head start getting down to Egypt. So this little detail in verse 14 is kind of important. Then he arose and took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. Shows us how critical this was for Joseph to get out of town fast. Now, again, there's a lot we don't know about what happened there in Egypt. That's kind of like the Bible. There are many, many details that we are not told. But the details that we are given in the Bible, just in general, as a rule, are given to us by God to lead us, to lead us, as John put it, that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah and God the Son. Okay, so those are details. But anyway, what we do know is when they come back, in verse 15, when they come back, where it says, And it was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. So they're in Egypt until Herod dies. From Josephus, the Jewish historian, we know that Herod died when he was 70 years old, and he had ruled in Judea for about 37 years. And that's what Josephus tells us, but it's not in the Bible because it's not important. This return that they make back from Egypt is now said to be a fulfillment of, of the prophecy 
in uh, Hosea 11.1, 1, which says, when Israel was a child, then I loved him, called my son out of Egypt. All right, now, let me just ask you. So, you know, you sit down for a good read, and you're, ha- you're reading through the book of Hosea, and you come across this first verse in the 11th chapter, when Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. And you read that, what would you think? I mean, you're just reading, you know, what would you think? I mean, you, of course, you would think of history in Exodus, what you think of, you know, you think of Exodus 2.23. Exodus 2.23, where it says, you know, in the process of time, the king of Egypt died, the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up to God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob, and God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. Oh, you know, you read that, you think, okay, Israel was oppressed as a slave. They're crying out to God. God hears their cry. And you remember that the next chapter, chapter 3 of Exodus, it's got in it. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of the taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I'm come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up into a good land. So, you know, you understand all this, and then you know that in the next part there in Exodus, there's just this little misunderstanding that comes between Moses as to who made the mouth. But finally, Moses more or less comes around, and eventually, uh, you know, Israel's delivered. So that's what you would think when you read Hosea 11.1. This is a synopsis, it's a summary of that history. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. You say, okay, you know, God saw that Israel in Egypt as his son, as a young child, and God called the Jewish people out of Egypt. Okay. When you read that, would that scripture have struck you as a prophecy of something that was going to happen? I mean, you know, you got to be honest. You say, no. You know, you, you, you wouldn't see this scripture that way. But in our chapter in verse 15, in Matthew 2.15, this scripture in Hosea 11.1 1 is said to be a prophecy that was fulfilled when the Lord Jesus returned from Egypt. Well, there's no way that you and I could know in advance that this was a prophecy that was going to be fulfilled when the Messiah comes out of exile from Egypt. There's no way. Now, it's because of this and other reasons too. I never try to work out the details of prophecy of what's going to happen in the future and when it's going to happen. I know there are people who will die on this. I don't do that. Because all that we've got here is that, oh, it's a prophecy? Okay, I understand it's a prophecy. This was a tender time. This was a tender time when God called Israel his son, and he called them out of Egypt. We remember here that God told Moses to command Pharaoh to let him go. Because he said these wonderful words in Exodus 4.22, Exodus 4.22, Thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. Wow, what a title. God's son, even his firstborn. Not bad. So God saw Israel so much as his firstborn that God told Pharaoh, if you don't let him go, I will kill your firstborn. And that, of course, was the 10th plague. The person who called Israel his son, his firstborn son, that said that he loved him, that said he called him out of Egypt, that person is Jehovah Jesus. And now... This Jehovah Jesus is now in Egypt himself, and he's being called out of Egypt just like his people were. 
And again, it shows this close link between the Lord Jesus with Israel. And he was persecuted like Israel was. He was in Egypt like Israel was. He was called out of Egypt like Israel was. And this is really all part of the all points, the all points that it referred to in Hebrews 4.15. Hebrews 4.15, where we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. And when Israel finally sees that Jesus is Jehovah, I keep saying Jehovah, Jesus, when they should finally see that Jesus is Jehovah, then they will see the greatest association that Jehovah Jesus had with them. Did you ever think that Isaiah 53 are the words of the Jewish people? They are the words of Israel. They're not saying that now. No way they'll say that now. But they are going to say Isaiah 53, 5, Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our iniquities. Uh, transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who is this? We, us, we. That's the Jewish people. That's Israel speaking. So that's when they're going to say, his greatest association with us was when he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. When he suffered for what we did, this being Communion Sunday, that's really important for us. He suffered for what we did. All right, now, the Lord's in exile in Egypt, and back in Israel, Herod understands that he has been duped by the wise men. In verse 16, verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked, you could say duped, you could say whatever you want, you say outwitted, he was outfoxed, he was mocked of, really, by the wise men was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently acquired of the wise men. So verse 16 is telling us he saw he was outwitted, he was, the fox was outfoxed, and uh, he's really angry. Who's he angry with? Maybe himself. Who else? The wise men. He is angry at the wise men. Because he says when he saw that he was outfoxed, when he was duped by the wise men, he was extremely angry. He was angry at the wise men. Now, because they lied to him. The wise men lied to him. They promised to return and give him the information, and they escaped out of his hand. And Herod was infuriated because Herod never misses his mark. But he did this time. So when Herod ordered all the children from two years old and under to be murdered, you know what he was really doing? Of course, he was trying to eliminate his competition, but who was he trying to strike back at? The people he was mad at, which would have been the wise men. Herod would have killed those wise men, but he couldn't. They escaped. So Herod decides to kill the person that they worshipped. This is what's going on here, and this is how Herod is trying to hurt the wise men. It just shows us how cruel, how bloodthirsty he is. He's got no limits. He knew the king of the Jews was a male baby. So what's he decide to do? Kill all the babies, male and female. He knew the king of the Jews was in Bethlehem. So what's he decide to do? Kill all the babies in Bethlehem and the coastal towns that are around Bethlehem. And so the reason Herod chose this two years old and under is because this was a conclusion that he came to after interrogating the wise men. 
And, you know, he pressed them. What is the exact time when the star appeared? When exactly? When exactly? And he knew that it was less than two years because it's Herod. He's going overboard. It's probably a year. Now, can you imagine the scene of these soldiers coming to homes and finding any baby? I mean, it just looked like a two years old, and they rip him out of the mother's arms, and they kill the baby right on the spot, probably with a dagger, maybe a sword, who knows? And the soldiers then go on to the next house, and they leave this baby in its own blood on the floor. I mean, it kind of makes you wonder, well, what about those soldiers? Did it bother any of them? I mean, to do this with the babies? I mean, like, you know, Hitler had trouble with some of his Nazi soldiers carrying out his orders to kill the Jews in Europe and Russia. And so it's no wonder that the response of this in verse 18, verse 18 is, in Rama there was a voice heard, it's a prophecy, Lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel, weeping for her children, would not be comforted because they are not. The way it's described, this horror of what happens in the home there, is described as a voice. There was a voice heard. It's just a voice. First of all, no person is seen. It's just a voice that's heard. And that was because there was in each house this spectrum of sounds Sometimes it's howling over the death of a child. You know, children are very special in Jewish homes. They're very special. On Sabbath in Israel, the whole country shuts down and it stops and all the families come together. It's really a nice time. It's really very nice. Even though most of them are atheists, it's still a nice time. But the center of those gatherings are children. Children are just so specially celebrated in Israel. I mean, my friend, my friend was in Israel on Sabbath in John. And he was in the lobby of an expensive hotel in Jerusalem and was there on the Sabbath. And that lobby, the floor was marble, and then they had a, a handicap ramp. They had a ramp for handicapped people to, to go up to the next level there. And John sent me a video. I think she was probably a little girl, about four years old, maybe five, four or five years old. And she was on a tricycle, and she was using that ramp as a race course. <laughs> she was racing down the handicap ramp. John shows me this and shows me all the people around there. And the whole message of his video was that no one would have thought of stopping that little girl because children are very special in Israel. So just imagine that now in each home with these children lying dead on the floors in the pool of their own blood. And the grief is so intense for the mothers that they don't want to be seen. They don't want to be seen by anyone. It's very similar to Zechariah when it says they'll mourn for him and they say that each person goes apart. They don't want to be seen because they're not silent. They're in anguish. They're grief. But it tells us that what happens when you came into this town at these places at that time is that you just heard this like voice. And the voice was not all the same. There were actually three sounds, three types of sounds coming from the voice. First, there was the sound of lamentation. The Greek word there is the meaning of great trouble. So there's this voice of like wailing, like a screaming out. And that was the first sound in this voice, it's screaming. And second, it says that there was the voice of weeping, weeping. This is this uncontrolled crying. This is this loud sobbing. That's the second sound in the voice. And the third sound in the voice is mourning, mourning. Those are the cries of, oh no, this can't be true. Tell me it's not true. And together, all of these three sounds of wailing and crying and mourning blend together to become like one voice. This is one of the most terrible times in the history of Israel, the history of the Jews. And verse 18 says it is the voice of Rachel, Rachel weeping for her children. 
Rachel's been dead for over a thousand years at this point. Her grave is venerated. But this voice is like the voice of Rachel crying out in anguish from the grave, weeping for her children. And then it says that Rachel would not be comforted. She refused to be comforted for her children. Now, this reminds us of the history of Jacob when he was told that his son Joseph had been killed. And it says in Genesis 37, 35, Genesis 37, 35, all his sons, Jacob's, all his sons and his, all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, I'll go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for Joseph. So Jacob refused to be comforted. And the reason these mothers refused to be comforted is given to us in verse 18. It says, because they are not. And when it says they are not, those children, that means those children are not there to bring joy to their homes. Those children will not be there in the future to bring joy to the parents. It's kind of interesting, you know, that when a young parent, let's say cancer or whatever, and he sees or he or she sees a death approaching and thoughts come to mind, the thoughts of, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And it's interesting that the greatest because, I don't want to die because, I don't want to die because I want to see my child graduate, you know, from school. I want to see my child married. I want to see my child have children. And those are the thoughts of the person, the young parent, who says, I don't want to die because. And when verse 18 says, they are not, it means that none of those events will ever happen for those parents, for these children, because they are not. So that's why there's this voice heard in Ramah. It's all because of the rage of Herod, Herod, who caused all those children to die and, and brought this unhealable wound to Israel. Now, then it came time, and so it no longer it says this, no sooner says this in verse 18, that verse 19 comes in and says, Herod was dead. So it came time for Herod to die. And that's what Herod was dead. Herod, who looked so powerful, now he looks so weak, he's dead. And with the death of Herod, the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph when he was in Egypt, and the angel says, Arise, take the young child and his mother, go into the land of Israel, for they are dead, which sought the young child's life. So he's there, and, and I don't know, maybe Joseph, when he was in Egypt, and he hears this, you know, these people are dead, so you go back now. Maybe he's thinking to himself, says, boy, this is like Moses in reverse. Moses was told to stay out of Egypt. And he was told in, in Exodus 4.19, uh, when he was told, he was told in Exodus 4.19, the Lord said unto Moses in Midian, go return into Egypt, for all the men are dead, which sought thy life. Just kind of reverse the whole thing. But anyway, as soon as Joseph is told it's safe to return, he takes his family and he goes back to Israel in verse 21. Verse 21, he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. So here he is. He's just coming to the border. You know, he's reaching the border of Israel there. And, you know, he's talking to people. He says, you know, people say, well, who are you? Ah, Joseph says, you know, I kind of been cut off. You know, the Internet was down and I didn't get newspapers down there. And so I don't know any news. So, you know, what's new? Because he approaches the border and they said, oh, you know, the news is the son of Herod, Achilles, he's now reigning. And so Joseph, when he hears this in verse 22, but when he heard that Achilles did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. 
So, you know, can you picture Joseph? He's like walking into Israel and he comes in. Hey, what's new? You know, he's walking along. He says, oh, Achilles reigns. And he stops right there. And he says, uh, I think I want to uh, go back. You know, it wasn't, things weren't so bad in Egypt. I want to go back. And so he's really thinking about that. He's thinking, I want to go back to Egypt. And then it says, notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. So in other words, he's thinking about going back to Egypt, and God says, I'm warning you, don't do that. So Herod dies, what happened here? When Herod, when the first Herod died, Herod died, his kingdom was divided for his three sons. And this son, Archelaus, got this area, the land of Judea. And he was actually more cruel than Herod. As a matter of fact, he was so cruel that Caesar Augustus banished him because there were so many complaints by the Jews about his cruelty. That's why Joseph was so afraid to go any farther in Israel, and he wanted to go back to Egypt. But God didn't allow him to return to Egypt. So God directs him to go to the north of Israel into the region of Galilee. And that's why the Lord ended up being from Galilee, from Nazareth. The town in Galilee. In verse 23, verse 23, he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled as spoken by the prophet. It's called Nazarene. Nazareth was pretty much a look-down-on city in Israel. You could say that it still is. That way, you know, it's like... And that's why when Nathaniel heard that the Lord Jesus was from Nazareth, Nathaniel immediately responds, John 145, John 145, Philip findeth Nathaniel and saith unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? So if you live in a place where when people hear where you live from, they say, Can any good thing come out of that pretty much tells a story. And so it was a demeaning statement to be called a person from Nazareth. That's why Pilate chose that part to put on the Lord's cross in John 19.19. John 19.19. Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. So, when we look out over all this history, from man's perspective, the early history of the Lord, it looks pretty chaotic. It looks chaotic. It looks like being chased by murderers to hide in Egypt. Fear, more murderers go to the city of Nazareth. But in reality, that's the way it looked, very chaotic. But in reality, God was guiding each step, even using the anger of man, the wrath of man shall praise thee, even using the anger of man to guide where the Lord was going to be taken. Just like a hymn, it's a great hymn. If thou but suffer God to guide thee, and hope in him through all thy ways, he'll give thee strength, whate'er betide thee, and bear thee through the evil days who trusts in God's unchanging love, builds on the rock that not can move. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that, Lord, the, that man will not prevail against you. And we thank you for preserving the life of our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. 
You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Friendship with God Fellowship and Tom Cantor would like to invite you to our Seder message and traditional Passover dinner on Sunday, April 14th from 4.30 to 6.30 p.m. Come join us for a special night of music, food, and a biblical perspective on the Passover Seder. Experience this event in our brand new venue, The Vine, located near the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. The cost of this event is $25 per person, and the last day to sign up is Sunday, April 7th. For more information, please call 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104. Or visit us at creationbookstore.com. That's creationbookstore.com. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 